You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the Fileo Fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Improv, riverboats, and cheese whiz. What do these three things have in common? Find out on today's episode. I love cheese foods. Yes, that's me. I'm your host, Sean Chandler, and you're listening to Your Program Is Your Ticket, a discussion of smaller theater works and the people and organizations that make it happen. Today's guest is honored Your Program Is Your Ticket alumni, John Robitaille, founder of Bay City's Improv Company. John is part of my new Theater Is For Everyone series, where I'm interviewing theater artists outside of the major locales and influences to give them a chance to be heard, discuss their work selection, production processes, while touching on their triumphs, challenges, and misconceptions. Bay City's Improv Company is dedicated to the art of improvisational comedy. They love taking suggestions and creating scenes made up entirely on the spot and have been entertaining the folks around the Mobile Bay Area of Alabama since 2013. Please keep in mind that our interviews are recorded at different times to optimize schedules, just in case the audio sounds a little different. I'm excited, so let's bring them on. Hi, John, and welcome back to Your Program Is Your Ticket. Hey, Sean, how are you doing? I'm doing great. It's so nice to talk to you. It's been, what, like four or five years since I last, like, actually I'm going to say, I want, okay, I'm just going to say face to face spoke to you because this is as close as we get here on Zoom. Wow. And you know, the funny thing is, is it doesn't seem like it's been that long. I mean, honestly, it just seems like yesterday when the last time saw each other. So, right. I know. I, it's, it's, it's wild. Uh, just a little background for our listeners. Um, uh, I met John because my, uh, John, you live in Mobile, right? Well, I actually live in Fairhope, which is a suburb of Mobile. Okay, so... Short Mobile Bay. Exactly. You live in Fairhope, Alabama. My sister lives in Daphne, Alabama. They're so close community that they actually refer to themselves sometimes as Daphne Fairhope, which I think is a great name for a nighttime soap opera diva, if you ask me. (laughs) Uh, You could be right about that. (laughs) I hope so. I'm stealing it for a script. I am. So there, there you, it's, it's recorded. Um, but anyways, uh, my sister lives in Daphne, Alabama. And about, I don't know, like five years ago, I, I would go out there and visit her and her two kids and they were in school and she would go to pick them up and she'd pick me up from the hotel first and we'd go wait through the car lines. I'd never been in a car line before, but boy, they're, they're a big deal in Daphne Fairhope and probably everywhere else, but. Oh, well, um, that's my experience. And I drive past this, what looks like a quaint little tiny church. And I look at the sign. I'm like, oh, that's, that's an adorable little church. And it says Theater 98, the 25th Annual Putnam County Spelling Bee. And then there's dates there. And I thought, wow, it would be great if I could interview these people who live in where my sister lives. And I believe I sent you a cold email. And then you called me and... I think it was like, dude, who are you and what, what, what now? And then I finally talked you into it and I got an opportunity to uh, go and interview you and uh, Robin Cohen, who was the director of the 25th annual Putnam County Spelling Bee beforehand. And then I saw the show and I loved it. I've seen that show two times on Broadway and your project was, or your production of it was probably my absolute favorite. Well, thank you for that. And just so that everybody, I was the production manager at that time at Theater 98. Right. And um, 
you, you two were just wonderful. And it was actually Robin who looked at me in the middle of this interview and she said, she looked me right in the eye and she said, I want you to, to, to hear this and I want you to understand it, Sean. Theater is for everyone. Theater is for everyone to, to create, to see, to love, to, to, uh, to critique, to work in concessions. Everyone who, who wants to be involved in it. And that really, really hit home for me. And so much so that I've turned it into my tagline and now I've developed this series over it. That's and great. Absolutely. I love that. I absolutely love that. Good, good. Major, major example of that. And um, you're going to tell us why. So let's start by having you, um, uh, I've already introduced you, but introduce yourself to our listeners and tell us about Bay City's Improv Company, please. Sure. Well, absolutely. Of course, you know my name, um, John Robitaille. I actually founded Bay City's Improv back in 2013. And that was shortly after I moved to the area. I was living in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina beforehand. Got involved in theater there at Carolina Improv Company. There was no improv in this area, and I wanted to continue my training. After about three years of being here, I was like, well, you know what? Let's just form our own company, and let's let's make it work. And we brought it to the area. There were some other little companies that had been here, tried it, and done it, and moved on, and things like that, but nothing substantial. Um, and so, you know, that's that's what got me into improv here was the fact that there was nobody else. Oh, okay. Well, you found a niche and you went for it and it's working really well for you because that's been that's that's a long time for an improv group, I think. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and of course when we started and you know, we didn't have a home, we would play in bars, you know. Uh, if you've ever tried to do improv and someone's playing a pinball machine behind your back, it just doesn't work well. Uh, but we would play wherever we could, and we've grown since then. We started teaching classes. We've built it up. And roughly three years ago, we partnered up with the Riverboat in Mobile, and we developed a show which we called Murder Creek Mystery Show. And we have been performing that for three years now. We started out two shows a month, and we've grown it to four shows a week. So wow. We- yeah, it, it's amazing, you know, when there's not any entertainment in the area um, on a regular basis, what you can find as far as an audience. And I found locals and tourists alike that were hungry for something to do, to have fun. And that became our life. That is Bay City's Improv now. Wow, that's that's terrific. That's quite quite a growth. Uh, to to do it that much every single week is that has that maintained throughout uh, COVID at this point, or did you did you close down for a little while and are just now reopening slowly? No, we did shut down for a small amount of time back in twenty when you know everything shut down. Mm-hmm. Uh, where around May of that same year, which was a couple of months, the governor opened up restaurants again allowed people, you know, back into restaurants. They, um, and because the Perdido Queen is considered a restaurant, we were allowed to reopen at that point. And so we've continued to grow through that whole period. And and I think a lot of it too is because the theaters in the area had to shut down as well. And they shut down a little bit longer than we did but we were back up and running, you know, just a couple of months after. Wow. Yeah. I, I know that, um, th- there were theater elements around the United States that because of their locale and where they, where they performed, they had advantages and sometimes disadvantages for coming back. Right. Bec- because of however that, that space was classified. Exactly. Yeah. That's, that's great. How, how very fortunate for you guys. That's awesome. I'm glad to hear that. Um, now I'm, I'm going to be very, very honest with you. And I have been honest on my show. I, um, 
I sometimes get weird and uncomfortable during improv, and you're probably completely familiar with this, but will you allow me to tell you like a two minute story? Uh, and this will dovetail into a question for you. Sure. Are you okay with that? Okay. Absolutely. Um, about 10, 12 years ago, my husband David and I took his parents to see in Vegas, I think it was at the Venetian Hotel, Tony and Tina's wedding, which I'm sure you're familiar with. Yes. For our, our listeners, Tony and Tina's wedding is an improv type show that tracks a reception of this um, Sopranos type family's couple getting married and and what happens and occurs at the reception and just it's everything that you think it would be. And it just gets crazy and all hell breaks loose, but they do it. They like, they dance, they serve food, they serve cake. I mean, they, it's, it's like a real reception with these very eccentric characters. So David and I go in and we're sitting on one side of a banquet table and his parents are sitting across from us. And some guy comes up looking like he's from the Sopranos, like, you know, Johnny Goomba and starts talking to David and, and, and me. And, um, I, here I am. I'm somebody who does the show. I don't, I'm not an actor, but I have acted before and I, I do readings and stuff. David is a full on actor and we're like ice. We were like completely cut off to this poor guy. I apologize to him and I apologize to you and your company for doing that. But they decide to go onto the, he goes onto the other side of the table and walks up to my in-laws and, um, and, who've never been on a stage before in their life. And he looks at the, looks at my father-in-law and he says, he introduces himself and he says, you know, what's your name? And he, my father-in-law looks over and goes, this is my love, lovely wife, Norma. And I'm Gary, but you can call me the cement man, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> Complete. I mean, David and I are looking at each other like, where did that come from? And the whole night they couldn't have been, better guests at this way. Well, we were horrible guests. They were great guests. They, they danced, they toasted. Um, they, I mean, they were completely involved with it. And I really think that that's where sort of like theater from everyone, that's a huge example of that. Now, do you, do you find that when you're doing your shows that it brings out the inner actor, the inner performer of people who wouldn't normally necessarily do this? Absolutely. And let me explain. Uh, that sounds a lot like what we do. Our, and when I say we're an improv show, we developed a term, we call it improv active. And what that means is that, and I tell everybody at the beginning of every show, our, our stories are not scripted at all. They're outline based, they're character driven, and they're audience active. And that means that the audience is bringing us the story. Now, I write the outlines. My actors create their characters. The audience, like I said, brings us the story. We have no idea, and we have ways to encourage them to get up and to be a part of the show. You know, we find out secret information about them during the show. We assign characters to them. We have the advantage because we can see them waiting on the dock before they board. And we look out and we say, okay, there's the mayor of Murder Creek. This is the person that's going to play this or whatever. And then we take that, and the minute that they walk on board, they are like, when the mayor comes on there, everybody, it's the mayor. Oh, my God, I can't believe the mayor is here. So, and we we do that for a reason, and that reason is to get that person comfortable as that character without going up to him saying, Hey, we're doing a show. Would you like to be a character there? Nine times out of 10 is exactly what happened to you is you're going to freeze up or you're going to say, that's all right. No, um, I just want to watch. And we've had people say that before. I just want to watch by the end of the show. They're right there in there with us. So we love it. We absolutely love it. Now, do you do you and the team train and work out techniques for for doing that? Do you practice that just in, in sort of like look for cues in the behavior of the individual you're approaching? 
Um, we do work on it, you know, to, to develop our techniques. Uh, you know, a lot of it is just instinct. It's just looking at somebody and just saying, that's it. Now, here's the funny thing, too, is because our story is under the guise of a mystery. So we, in our murder mystery, nobody, the minute that we all get on board there, nobody knows who the murderer is. You know, I tell the audience, you don't, the actors don't, nor do I, because I allow one member of the audience to decide who the murderer is going to be. So, but to make it even more fun is that when I pull the mayor up there, because we always start our show by interviewing the mayor, and then we say, you know, and I tell them, because I typically play the host and the detective in the show, we we tell them, you know, hey, uh, and I say, look, I've been walking around. There's a lot of suspicious characters on board here. Uh, as a matter of fact, I found four of them. The problem is, is I've got six index cards here, which means two of them are blank. So then I'll ask them to pick out a male suspect. I, you know, there's one guy on board that looks more suspicious than all the rest. So it's not the actors who's actually bringing people in. It's someone else from the audience. So now we've twisted things and we've confused the audience because they don't know who the actors are now. And they're seeing somebody that was standing out on the dock with them. I guess they think it was a guest. Now they're questioning, well, is this an actor too or not? So we twist things up at the beginning um, just slightly to have fun with them. And uh, we, we select our volunteers. We have other characters that are instrumental to our show. Uh, they usually, these characters, you know, it's kind of hard to say sometimes, and you have to be careful because we kind of put our foot in our mouth sometimes, but, you know, they do have to be able to read because we have letters that have to be read at specific times during the thing. And if you pick the wrong person who's either forgotten their glasses that day and they can't read, or, you know, maybe they really don't know how to read or they may not have English as their first language. Right. So, you know, you, you always run into that, but we, we know how to, to work through it. It's, it's simple. That's great. That's really smart because I, I always say that um, the, the best directors of movies and plays are the ones that create a psychology within the audience. Um, like they're, they've got them, thinking a certain way without the audience really necessarily knowing that best example I give is the movie Slumdog Millionaire, where after I watched that movie, I was like, Oh my God, I felt like anything could go wrong at any time. Somebody was like, you know, this close to death. So I, I think that with you doing that, what you've done is, you know, people are already walking up and onto or into the theater and they're just, they're suspicious already. And that's really smart. <laughs> Well, and you know, I have a fascination with magicians. Um, you know, if I go somewhere, I'll try to catch a magic show just to watch them. And at Christmas time, I had gone to Hot Springs, Arkansas and, and was able to, to go see uh, a magic show. And one of the things that he, he was the, the magician that was there. Don't ask me his name because I, I know his name was Jonathan because it's the same name as me, but I don't remember his last name and I apologize to him for that. But he was doing this trick, and it was involving the audience. He would ask the audience a question, and uh, before they could answer it, he would write something down on a, a piece of paper. He would ball it up, and he'd hand it to somebody or put it somewhere or whatever. But the way that he was asking those questions involved the psychology of it. Mm. And was even explaining to us, which was interesting that he was doing this. He was explaining to us that the questions that he's asking, he's actually leading them to the answers that he's put down on that piece of paper ahead of time. So, and you think about it. So the question may have been, what's your favorite color, you know, or something like that. Now we all know that there's X number of colors out there. What's the most common? It's probably going to be red or blue. Those are the first two. So, you know, in his mind, he knows that. 
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You know, I can tell you right now, when I lay those index cards out there for the mayor to decide who the murderer is, uh, if, there's, if there's seven cards or whatever out there, Nine times out of ten, they're going to pick the middle card. I see this on a regular basis. I know it. So I know the psychology behind what they're thinking and where it is. Now, I don't go memorize what order those cards are in because that takes the fun out of it. We want to solve that crime together with the audience, and then we allow them to go back at the end to reveal if we're right or or wrong and Sean, I will say that in three years, we have been right 100% of the time. No way, really? Yes. Was there ever a time when you were sweating it, when you were like, I don't know, or, or it's been like obvious, like when you get 95% there, it's obvious? Um, you know, I don't like to solve the crime for the audience, mm-hmm. them to solve the crime. And this is what I teach my people is that if you're not getting those aha moments out of your audience, then your, your show is not going to be remarkable. It's not going to be memorable when they leave. I want them, you know, when you see somebody sitting at a table, jump up to their feet and it's like, oh, I just realized you were over here at this time. And I'm just smiling and saying, you know, this is it. This is this is perfect. And we have good audiences. We have great audiences and we have bad audiences sometimes, but it's just part of the game. You know, you just have to, to work through it all. So. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and plus you guys have been doing it for so long. You probably, you could probably tell right away. And like, say if you have a challenging audience and shift into maybe a certain mode of, of um, how to deal with them. Right. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. We have, (laughs) we have a term for what we call a heckler on the boat. Uh, we call them a cheese whiz. Uh, and that is in honor of our most famous heckler because everybody creates their own character name when they come into the show too. And that was this character's name was cheese whiz. And, um, if all I do is I just go up to, you know, an actor and say, you know, we got cheese whiz at table seven, then they know that they've got a problem person there and then they can take it. And, you know, if, if they're being rude or, or obnoxious or whatever, you know, we, we can figure out how we can calm them down. Or if they look like they're bored or they're, they're angry, then, you know, we can go address that situation there too. Um, so it's, you know, there, there's tricks to the trade. There really is. And you just have to be aware 100% of what's going on around you at all time when you're doing this type of improv show. Now, do you, um, utilize the, uh, I want to say it's the oldest technique in the book for improv, which is to always say yes. Oh, absolutely. You know, the one thing is, is that, I know that my people know that, but does the audience know that? And a lot of times they don't. And so when I develop what the, the opening, you know, the, the prep work up front, because I do a doc speech to let them know what's about to happen. I go in and I set up the, uh, the pre-show, uh, and I kind of start throwing things in there. It's like, you know, the show is you. It's, what you bring us that's going to turn a good show into a great show, you know? And a lot of times I'll just say, you know, if you can't think of an answer, just say yes. Because we're leading them to where we want that story to go. We always do. And I, you know, that's something that an improviser has to know is that they're in 100% control of their show and their audience. 
And if they are, if they don't know that and if they don't feel that, their show will always be bad. I can promise you that. Right. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, about, I'm going to say like a couple of years ago, well, uh, uh, recently, and I, I stopped this particular series, but I did a, a series called Act Two Places that happened during the Omicron, not the Omicron, the COVID-19 shutdown. Um, and it was to talk to people about what they were doing, like um, creative directors and artistic directors and ensembles about how they were handling what was happening. And one of the most interesting uh, groups that I had on was this husband and wife team. They're called Artistic Stamp, and they would they did theater through the mail, and they would create these scenarios and and have writers who would correspond through USPS back and forth. And one of the things that surprised them the most was that people, the people who were writing back and forth, the, the audience members, um, they, they got into it in ways that they never expected. Like they would do collages and like they were supposed to write and make suggestions of what people should be doing. And they would write these long flowing letters and in character. Do do you find that if you have repeat people that go to your show, like they show up in, in costume and, and really just go for it? Um, we have had people come in costume. We typically see that more around the holidays, starting from Halloween up until Christmas. Uh, the rest of the year, they, you know, I would love for them to be in costume. I truly would. But what we decided, we made a, a decision, you know, a couple of years ago, is that everything that we do, we would set in present day. Because... If I put my actors in costume and then nobody else came in costume, would it be believable? Now, there's ways around that because what if I decided my show was going to be about some actors that wanted to get together? Okay. The show that I'm running now is it's, we just started it Sunday. It's called I Do or Die. It was originally written. Now, believe this or not. We had, back in October, a couple who wanted a murder mystery wedding. They actually got married during the murder mystery. So they wanted a 1920s theme. So I built this outline for their wedding, called it I Do or Die, and set it in the 1920s. Well... It's a lot of work to put an outline together. It's a lot I'm sorry, of. I'm just laughing at the title. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> Please go on. I'll stop. Okay. Um, but so there's a lot of work. So I said, okay, I will do this. We didn't charge them for, you know, the, the creative part of that. It was fun just to do their wedding, but we we're using the show now. So, here I've got a show set in the 1920s. I want things in present day. So why not let the bride just have this whole notion of she wants a 1920s themed wedding. And that's great. But nobody else gets her memo or whatever. So, you know, there's a little bit of like, okay, well, you know, uh, y'all, I'm here, you know, ready to go. And, and even the groom, because the groom is actually the uh, suspect out of the audience. Uh, so we incorporate him in that way. So uh, it gives opportunity for a little bit of chaos in there. And in our show, there's always some kind of physical activity. It also lets me, allows me to keep the Charleston in there. So everybody gets up and dances to Charleston. <laughs> well, of course. <laughs> <laughs> That's, I was going to ask, uh, one of my questions was, um, do you, do you write specific and do you write on assignment? If you will, if somebody wants, like say from, from your, um, your social media information, it looked like you, your focus is while you're, you're setting up a, a scenario, it's comedy. It's a comedy based type right. show. If somebody wanted say a, like a, 
a horror type situation or, or mm-hmm. a thriller. Would you, have you done that? Um, yes. And we've learned lessons from that. Uh, the first Halloween on the riverboat we did, and I just had this brilliant idea. We we're doing a murder mystery. Well, let's for Halloween do an opposite murder mystery where everyone's dead except for the one person who's supposed to be the murder victim or whatever. And it was probably more dramatic than anything else that we've ever done. Uh, it involved these hooded figures with these black robes coming in, carrying these candles. And, you know, it was almost like a seance type of thing like that. Um, and there were times that it kind of creeped me out. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it, it worked okay. It worked well, but I decided that the, the comedy would stay our main focus because people won't come for two hours to, to laugh and, and have fun. Uh, but I will, if they tell me they want something, we've got a library of stuff that we've done in the past that we can pull from. We can twist it and turn it any way we need to. And over the three years, what we have found and we recently just rebranded our show to the Murder Creek Mystery Show because everything seemed to be centered around this fictional town of Murder Creek. Um, and if you're from this part of Alabama, you will know just slightly north of here, there's actually a real Murder Creek. And I was driving on uh, 65 headed towards, I think, Montgomery one time. And I crossed over this bridge and I looked right when I crossed over the bridge and the little sign that said Murder Creek. And immediately to my mind was the, it came, I just crossed the bridge at Murder Creek. And that's where we started this whole thing revolved around that. And it kind of built into this whole, we've got characters that go in and out of stories and stuff like that off of that one statement that I made as I crossed that bridge. And it actually got written into a story. That was one of our stories. So I crossed the bridge at Murder Creek. Well, what does that mean? Well, we had Sheriff Tebow Bridges. Everybody called him the bridge. And so everybody was angry at the sheriff. And that's the whole premise of that story. Wow. That's such a writer thing to do. As I, I'm a writer myself. And I'm, I mean, a good 10 times a day, Mike. That goes in a script. That goes in a script. <laughs> yes. That's an idea for that. Oh wow, I'm I'm trying to figure out this character and that would work right there. It's very that's very writerly of you. Well, thank you. I take that as a compliment. You should. You should. It's 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 I, I always tell people that like, you know, I I, I a lot of writers like they think right. Like I'm always thinking writing all day, whether I'm at the computer or in in a in a rehearsal or something like that, I'm I'm constantly thinking of it. Or, you know, sometimes you just have to do that. Like you have to like meditate on on a, a problem that you might have with the script. So, and it comes mm-hmm. to you if you just sort of like if you let it. So. Well, I will tell you, I got myself in trouble one time. Uh, I don't like social media. I, I do it because that's how people communicate. But there was this group here as a writer's group and someone literally in the group said, Hey, I want to be a writer. How do I get started? And my answer was very short and sweet. I said, just write. And oh, I was people hit me like, how can you be so insensitive? And I said, no, the fact of the matter is, is that if, you can sit there and say you want to be a writer, but you have to write, period. You have to write. I don't care. It's not going to make sense. You grab that, you know, I got a piece of paper right here beside me now. You know, if an idea comes down, I'm going to jot it down. Now on my, I, I keep like a Word doc open. So something, if I'm, I'm scrolling through the Internet and something strikes my fancy, I can go there and then jot that down as well, too. So you got to have that avenue. You've got to have, you know, someplace to keep those notes. Six years from now, you may be going through it again, and it's going to spark something else. You know, 
Just because you write it down doesn't mean you've got to finish that work at that moment. It's just taking notes, period. Oh, yeah, I hear you. I have, uh, with my friends, I have this thing called making the phone. Somebody will say something or I'll see something and it's just like, oh my God, that's brilliant. And I'll pull out my phone and I'll make a note of it in my phone. So they've, they've often said, oh, have I made the phone? (laughs) (laughs) But no, you're absolutely right. You do, you do have to write. Um, it's writing is not easy. It's, it's, it, it comes with its own set of standards and rules and nuances and things like that. And just because you say, Hey, I want to write for you. Doesn't necessarily mean you'll do it or you'll be good at it. I mean, there's a lot of things that have to just be learned by doing it. So I totally well, and And the thing is, is that you have to take what's in your head and be able to convey that so that I've got five actors that put on the show, that they fully understand what I say. When I told you earlier, it's an outline based show. It truly is. It's four pages. One page per segment. So our show is broken down into little segments. And there's four segments that the actors have to perform in. I to, and then there's two other. There's the intro and the outro. I do the intro and the outro. Uh, the intro is the host. The outro is the detective. But they have to, they have to tell that story in those four segments. And that outline may say, this character gets angry at another character, whatever that character's name is. Okay. That's what I want to see accomplished, but that's so open-ended. Why are you getting angry? And this is what I tell my people, you know, once I hand you that outline, the hardest thing for me to do is hand you that outline because then it's now in their control. Uh, You've got to know the backstory of your character. You've got to know what makes that person tick. Now, I can tell my good actors from my, let's just say, mediocre actors because the ones that are extremely good will go home and they will write a whole backstory, stuff that does not even apply to the story. But as we've discovered is that if it's in your head as an actor, then it's going to make your performance more believable. Um, because you never know what the audience is going to bring. So just because I assign you this character here, and I may tell you 10 years ago he was in love with this girl right here, I didn't tell you how they met. But maybe as an actor you go in and you figure out, well, how did we meet? Because an audience member, as they're sitting there trying to figure out this mystery, they may say, well, how did y'all meet? And if you look at them and you don't have an answer, you just lost all credibility. You know, does that make sense? Uh, that's Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I-, I love what you said about how they might write something and it may never actually even come up, but it it shows on... It shows on the face. It's it's there. It's like this really sort of mystical thing that's or like a chemistry that's happening in their brain to where there's a connection there. And right. in in addition to being able to say, well, from my my character bio, I this is how it occurred, but it, it, you'll immediately just connect to it in your brain, and and it and the audience will know because the I mean, an audience in general, I mean they pick up on the tiniest little things. I mean, what happens when you're seeing like seeing a play and somebody accidentally drops a pencil that, you know, they weren't supposed to drop. What is the audience looking at for the rest of the scene? The pencil, right? Exactly. They have, they're so in tuned to what's going on in ways that, that, that have to be covered off on. That's right. You're you're totally. Um, what are, some of the challenges facing uh, Bay City's improv company that other uh, possibly larger um, that's, you know, that's sub- subjective um, improvisational teams don't directly face. Things that are challenging to us. Right. Uh, uh, right. Exactly. The, the biggest like, thing that we have, or my biggest challenge is 
always constantly find a flow of, of improvisers to come in and to fill the spaces that I have. We've got a good core group there, but if you're doing four shows a week, you're doing four shows a week and we will run the same storyline for two to three months at a time. Um, the challenge there is, is that it becomes scripted to a, a certain amount, you know, where you've got the same actors that are performing at night after night after night. It almost becomes scripted. And I can pretty much time that show based on what I know they're going to say. So my challenge is, is I like to throw in somebody new every once in a while to then kind of, and then to watch their reaction, you know. Um, so that that's the biggest challenge that I have is to keep it fresh and keep it where it feels like it is totally improvised. And, and like I said, it is improvised, but, you know, it becomes scripted after a while if it's the same people doing it over and over. Right. Yeah. I could see that. I, um, <clears throat> they say that a lot about like shows that run for years here in New York, that it's so nice, like to have an understudy come in once in a while or a standby who sort of like switches it up and, and it, it enlivens the show, yes. that particular performance. Right. And they may interpret a line or a segment different and then all of a sudden that clicks in your head as another actor's. No, I never thought about it that way. And we go from there. So yeah, yeah. that's it. You know, my biggest challenge is, is that we're growing faster than we can keep pace with right now. And it's a great thing to have. Um, because I don't know if I, I shared this with you before is that. We're actually starting a second show. I, I signed contract to do two test shows down in Foley, Alabama, which if you're not familiar with the area, is just north of Gulf Shores. So it's a huge tourist market for us. Um, we're going to do, it's actually uh, a little about a week and a half for our first show there, and then we'll do another show two weeks after that. Uh, there's a snowbird market going on right now and so they're looking for entertainment and when i tell you that this venue is huge it will seat 600 people for dinner it will seat a thousand people theater style it's nothing but a big red barn it's a metal building that was built to look like a big red barn on the uh, beach express it's probably a good 10 or 15 minutes away from the actual beach itself, but it's on a major thoroughfare. Um, he's got a $120,000 light up sign out front of the building. So when I say that I want to be there uh, because of the visibility, I definitely want to be there. And my challenge, my goal is to take that venue, turn that into a regular show. I've already told the, the gentleman that owns the building that I want to be his main source of entertainment or that, that. Congratulations. That's awesome. Well, thank you. Um, and on the riverboat, we're developing a couple of other shows that will. With the lucky land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. My, my hope is, is that one of them will come in the spring and the second one will come in the fall. The one in the spring, we're looking at something that families can bring their kids to. Uh, it's for the lack of a better name, I'm calling it the uh, Pirates, Parrots, and Pancake Show. Uh, so it's going to be dinner. Well, it's a little brunch thing for kids. And I have kids, but the, the storyline is actually going to involve some local history. It's going to allow the parents to, to do their thing 
um, because I told the owner of the boat, and I said, you got to have a Bloody Mary bar for the parents. I don't care if anything else, have a Bloody Mary bar for them. We'll entertain the kids while they go do what they want to because, you know, that's what it's about. So we've got um, an outline laid out. I just now, this one's going to be more of a scripted story or scripted show, I should say. Uh, I want to incorporate musical elements into it as well. We discovered that about a year ago that you got to have some activity to keep people engaged and we got to have music in there to really uh, lighten things up a little bit. And my inspiration for this, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but there is the Polar Express um, show that's actually done on trains. Yes. Oh, yeah. So that's my inspiration for this. You know, it is a riverboat, but in my research, I find, you know, because it's like, okay, we're pirates on riverboats, but yes, they actually were because the pirates um, were the 1700s up into the early 1800s. Riverboats were like beginning of the 1800s all the way up to the 1900s. So there's a little bit of an overlap there, and there is what's called an inland pirate. I mean, inland pirate, and so, and there's some around Mobile Bay where you know there were some pirate stories there. So we're going to incorporate that into it as well. Wow, very very cool! Wow, you you totally deserve this. I can tell you you are a focused hard worker, and and this this growth is. It's I, I like it when good things happen to to good people and I'm I'm like super thrilled that you've grown into this big and, and you know and then the ideas are just they just keep coming and continuing and that shows that you're not just a good artist, but you're also a good theater business person as well. And that's important to to I think for you to know. It's sometimes the lines blur a little bit, but you're not only thinking create creatively, you're also thinking, you know, business-wise, what's next and what do we need to do and what are the contracts, et cetera. So that's cool. Sometimes people are a little not, not so balanced with those two elements and they can get into trouble. So good good thing that you're – that that is where your brain is. I, I think that's awesome. Well, you now, know, the thing is, is that you've got to have the resources. If, if you love the art – you got to find the resources to make it happen. And mm-hmm. that's been my philosophy all along is, you know, we're not going to do anything that's going to, you know, break the bank, obviously, but we're, we'll, we've got higher dreams. Let's just put it that way. Bigger dreams. Mm-hmm. So as you should now, since we're, since we're talking about growing, let's take a look at, um, theater overall in the base cities of Alabama and even like we can geographically get bigger than that. Um, what misconceptions do theatrical institutions in Alabama face uh, versus how theater is viewed in the rest of the United States? I mean, is what do you come up, uh, up against of people say this about us, but it's not true or, is, is, is there a handful of things that you can talk about? You know, the, the thing about theater in general, you know, and I'm not going to just limit it to Alabama or, or just this area here for that matter, is is that people are so, everything's so instantaneous. They want it right this minute. And they're not willing to allow for it to occur around them. Um, I always laugh because I see people, you know, they'll come into a theater. Well, they'll like, especially like if you go to movies, like, you know, they'll sit there with a bag of popcorn and, and drink and just eat through the whole thing. But, you know, in a theater, they won't do that. And I don't understand. But then the minute that the intermission is, they go out there and they'll get them a wine or whatever the case is. My, my thing is, is that I'm trying to figure out what the audience, why the audience will sit there for two hours and watch a movie, even three hours on some movies and watch a movie, but they don't want to go sit 
and watch a live performance. Does that make sense? It's like, you know, is it because of the marketing dollars? Is it because, you know, there is a lot of hype on a movie. You know, if you're a Marvel movie right now, you're going to have a certain amount of audience regardless, a bigger appeal or whatever. Um, is there a stigma in that? Because what live theater is, to is, is it's uh, taking literary works and, and creating them in front of you. And, that, but, you know, movies do the same thing. So is it the fact that you've got these people that are now celebrities on the screen there, whereas in local theater, it's just local actors? Um, I have a thing in our show, and most theaters do, is, is a little blurb about theater etiquette. And you come to a show, you know, and I, and I start my show and I say, it embarrasses me to tell you this or to have to go over this. It really does. But, you know, we've done three years. We've seen it all. You know, I will say that, you know, it is rude. It is disrespectful for you to be on your phone when someone's given a performance, uh, not just for the actors. It becomes a distraction for the actors, but for the people around you, the people that are wanting to pay attention, that want to hear the story. And I don't know. I think movies may have a faster pace to get people in and they feel like they're right in the, you know, because a director in a movie can cut all the nonsense out and get you right into the action. Whereas a play may have to build up and, and start and you got to, kind of meet the characters and understand them and all of that. Um, I don't know. It's just, I guess, the way the stories are told. But it's the same way. Like if people don't read books as much as they used to, you know, they look for the fastest form of entertainment. Movies are falling out of fashion now because you have streaming services that have figured out that you have um, – you could you could create a nine hour movie, but break it down into thirty minute or hour segments, and somebody will sit there all weekend long and watch all nine episodes. They'll binge that, but they won't go to a a live production or go to a movie and sit there for that long. You know, I guess it becomes the comfort of the home as well too. Oh, absolutely. I also think that with theater, it's a little different than going to the movies. I think theater the. Um, I think with movies, there's more of a spoon feeding of the information going on, but with theater, the, you, you almost have to give the, uh, uh, not just in a mystery, but in, in most, most theatrical productions, you're giving the audience something they have to sort of puzzle together. Like you may start a, a play with something that happens where it's like, what, what in the world was that? And then they figure it out as it goes, as it goes along. So I think that that, that might have to do with it. Um, also I like I, that. I like that answer. It's, and, and I also read this one, thank you, by the way. And I also went, uh, read this one directing book uh, once that said in the theater, they have like done studies. And if you don't capture your audience within the first seven minutes, this is th- this is the number that they studied it down to within the first seven minutes, then you've lost them. You have to get them engaged by that point. Otherwise they start to, you know, it's like, well, where are we going to eat afterwards? And I have to go to the bathroom now and, you know, things like, things like that. And thank you very much for being so focused on cell phones. David and I went and saw uh, Moulin Rouge the other, like a couple weeks ago and oh my God, this lady had her phone out and was talking to people and calling people and oh and, wow! And Moulin Rouge—I don't know if you've heard about it, but it's over here in Broadway. It is hyperkinetic. I mean, it is like boom, but it's like somebody slamming you against the wall for three hours. Although it's, mm-hmm. it's pretty good. And um, I went up to this lady afterwards and I said, "You need to put your damn phone." I, mean, I got—I kind of read her a little bit, but yeah, I'm, right. I'm, I'm I'm that way, and and I wear earplugs to the theater a good deal of the time, so I don't have to hear all that or see it. But mm-hmm. and anyway, there's my rant. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Um, 
if you could, as the founder of, um, of your company, have three wishes for the development of Bay City's improv company, what would those three wishes be? Oh, that's such a great question right there. Number one is our education program will be top-notch comparable to seconds um, in Chicago, obviously. Second, second city, right? Yes. Okay. So, um, there is such an absence of improv on the Gulf Coast. So we want to be the premier training center for improv. Number two is that we are growing the company to be regional or slash national in the fact that there are plenty of markets out there that need entertainment. Um, you know, I'd love to be in Orlando, but you know what? Orlando's saturated. I don't want to have to compete for attention, but there are smaller markets out there that um, need, need entertainment. Uh, everybody's always celebrating something, birthday, anniversary, uh, engagement, whatever it is, there, there's something that they're celebrating in those markets needed. And then um, I want to take and reward my people, the ones that do a great job. I'm, I want to take them on a national tour. And so I have not even put it on my website yet, but uh we will be announcing our first annual world tour across the USA. And we're going to take our show and we'll, we'll bring it to five or six markets over the summer, probably one or two weeks. Um, and then, you know, do, do the show. I'm working out the details now. I've got some connections in some markets that I'm still, you know, toying with, but it looks like we may be back in Myrtle Beach do a show there. Um, San Antonio, Texas looks promising. Um, Hot Springs of Arkansas as well. Um, and then, you know, you never know where it's going to be. I've got people that are looking at other markets for us as well. So those are the things that we are, that that's my goal for the company. I've got wow. people I want to reward as and, and put them on as full-time employees. And that will happen as well. Too. See, there's there's the business head combined with the creative brain, and that's those are excellent, excellent. Um, th- those are more than wishes; those are goals. They're wishes and their goals, obviously, because of the way you talk about them. And I think doing this tour would be so great. I remember um, when David and I did our play at the Flash. It went. It it was performed in L.A. and Philly and. Chicago and New York and New York and Dublin, Ireland. I mean, and the, the people that you meet as you go to those locations and it just broadens your circle. And it's, it's really such a wonderful thing to happen. You just make all these friends all over the United States and around the world. And I mean, at least that's, that's what happened with us. That was a big, Probably, I, I shouldn't have been so ignorant, but an unexpected byproduct of that. And, and it's just cool because it's all these great theater people. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Most so if you know anybody in, in the New York area that's looking for <laughs> <laughs> I will, for sure, most definitely. Um, yeah, I definitely keep you in mind for that. Absolutely. You know, and, and I know a lot of people from other areas of the United States and, and the world too. I've interviewed people in, in Europe and, and Tel Aviv. And so, you know, well, you know, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I, you know, all I want to do is I want our costs to be covered. I'm not, this is not a money making thing. It's for the love of, of what we do. So I'm willing to partner up if there's local charities that want fundraisers, um, you know, we'll come and do it. We, we will, I would love to, to go to a, a location and have 200 people show up. And I know that a majority of those proceeds that those people paid for their tickets is going to go help some local, uh, community center or whatever it is in there. And I feel like that's how we can, we can get out there. It's scary to, to plan a national, uh, 
tour or, or try to figure out the logistics of it. I've never done it before, but we're going to do it, you know, so. Well, absolutely. I mean, when, when we did it, I had never done it before either. I was just like, you know what, this is what you wanted to do in your life. So here's your opportunity get to work. And uh, of course that was just him and I, and then he's the, he does the play and our director and a stage manager, and you've got a whole group of people bigger than that. So I, I will acknowledge that for sure. Well then let's have you give our audience uh, all of your, your social media and website information so that they can uh, keep up with you and, and help encourage, encourage you to do that and see your shows. Um, Give us all that information before we wrap sure. up. Sure, absolutely. Well, it is baycitiesimprov.com. That is our website. Make sure that you do the plug on the cities, though. Um, we're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. And believe it or not, I actually have a Pinterest page because at the end of every show, we always take a photo of our smartest detective getting their award. And you can go and you can meet all of our smartest detectives in there. So um, you just just type in Bay Cities on all of those and it should bring you right to it. So, um, Right. By the plural, you mean C-I-T-I-E-S? Exactly. Okay. Okay, cool. Excellent. That is it. Wow. That's, that's great. Um John, I am so excited for you. I, I I love that you are just you're developing, you're growing, um, you're you're always learning, you're always looking for for new opportunities, not just business opportunities, but also creative opportunities to develop the show. And I also love that you are are teaching people and you're training people how to do this. Improv is not easy. It is very, very difficult. There are certain, so many other things that you have to be aware of as opposed to doing a play. I mean, you think learning your lines is difficult. Try getting out there and having them be different every single performance. <laughs> so, all right, Sean, let me give you my little speech on that. All right. You were not born with a script in your hand. Every single day of your life is improv. The minute you wake up, it's improv. You don't know what you're going to say. The minute you get out of bed, there is no script. Sean, you listen to what people say around you. You respond to what they say. Are you always going to catch everything they say? No, you may miss something, but you'll ask them to repeat it. It's improv. That's it. That's all it is, is be aware of be in that moment and don't forget to say yes and right <laughs> yes and that's a yes and <laughs> exactly it's, it's about agreement um, though you know and i think a lot of times and what improv has taught me and what i absolutely love about it is is that if you subscribe to the principles of it if you practice those you, there will never be another war in the world because improv teaches you to sit down and listen to people and talk to people and, you know, work through differences and, and move forward, move everything forward. And that's what I love about it. And that's what I teach my people, you know, because it's not just for our stage. It's for your real life. It really is. Wow. Well, on that inspirational note, we will wrap up, but I wanted to just thank you again for being on the show again. Um, it's been so wonderful to, to have you as a guest um, and, and, and in this different format as well. Um, and before it's, it's, it's really cool that you are, out and you're in Alabama and you're bringing improv to the people and uh, you're, you know, if, the, if people, sometimes the people won't come to the theater, you got to bring the theater to them. And I think that that's a good deal of what you're doing. And um, I, I just wanted to thank you. Um, you've been amazing. And I wish you and Bay City's improv company, many, many broken legs as you continue to grow and develop. Thank you, Sean. Absolutely. Thank Thank you very much. Well, folks, the 11 o'clock number has been sung and the bows have been taken, so it's time to lower the curtain. 
Once again, a big thanks to Honor Your Program Is Your Ticket alumni John Robitaille of Bay City's Improv Company. He was awesome. He always is. You can find more episodes of Your Program Is Your Ticket on the Broadway Podcast Network, who has honored me with the place on their incredible theater podcast platform. Broadway Podcast Network is all about creating an engaging, immersive, user-friendly experience where theater stories of all kinds can be easily found, shared, and enjoyed. Please visit them on my landing page at bpn.fm slash ypiyt. That's bpn.fm slash ypiyt. Your Program Is Your Ticket is also on Facebook at facebook.com, Your Program Is Your Ticket. I'm on Twitter at at Program Ticket, Instagram at Your Program Is Your Ticket, YouTube at Your Program Is Your Ticket, and I'm also on iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, Podcast Addict, Podbean, Pocket Cast, Deezer, TuneIn, Listen Notes, and the UK-based theater platform, Thespi. FYI, I appreciate all good ratings, reviews, and subscriptions. Folks, take a little time to visit theater websites and see what they have to offer. Watch their content, give them all great ratings and reviews, and most importantly, donate, donate, donate. As always, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. And remember, theater is for everyone. Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.